I'm so glad you've made it to East City Wesleyan's podcast uh, page. Uh, my name's Brett Jones. I'm the lead pastor here at East City Wesleyan. Uh, if you would like to find out anything more about uh, who we are and uh, how we're trying to learn to grow closer to God and serve our community, uh, you'd be welcome to get in touch with us at the contact details on the page. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and, and see how we can serve you. First reading is from Matthew 6, and you've guessed it, it's on prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And now from Luke 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Lord, bless this reading from your word. Is it better to pray spontaneously where things kind of just come and roll off the cuff and you're just flowing? Or is it better to have a written prayer where every thought and word and intention is clearly laid out and you know exactly what you're articulating to God in that moment. What's better, to pray liturgically or to pray spontaneously? I grew up in a tradition that was more on the spontaneous, if you want to use this word, extemporaneous. You're welcome for a new word in your vocabulary this morning. Um, of the spontaneous tradition where... We, we kind of saw written prayers as suspect to inauthenticity, if you will, where 
I honestly can think of, I don't, can't think of a single church that I attended in Atlantic Canada that was a Wesleyan church that had someone write out a prayer and read it from the lectern. You might be like, what the heck? That's just my tradition. Where we, we, we saw spontaneous prayers as being more authentic, more real, and more reflective of somebody's devotion towards God. Uh, but what that created in the opposite effect, potentially, was that these prayers only really happened potentially in your devotional life or throughout your day if you felt like prayer was welling up inside of you, where, where you, you felt like you only prayed if you felt like the spontaneous nature of the authenticity was there to actually well up inside you to pray. You might have been a part of a tradition that was the opposite, where you viewed a liturgical, written-out type of prayer as the way to pray because you don't want to be repetitive, you don't want to forget what you should and shouldn't pray for, and you want to have every word and intention written out before others and before God. And you might even use a book or two to help you in your prayer life. But on the flip side, you might have seen that as maybe going through the motions of a ritualistic understanding of prayer where the authenticity could be seen as not as apparent. And it'd be easy just to ritualistically go into a flow of praying without ever realizing in your heart and in your spirit you're praying. What way of praying is better, liturgical or spontaneous? I'm going to click the reset button a little bit this morning on prayer. We're obviously in this series, Open for Prayer. We've been talking about it this entire morning so far. And what I would like to do is not have the verses there. I should have put a big line through the verses on the slides. Uh, Maybe next time I preach the sermon somewhere else. But what I would like to do is reframe this to not either or, but both and, if you will. And I'm going to help us understand why there's many different methods of prayer and why they're so essential. Uh, Pastor Brett, and next week, is going to talk about two other different types of prayer in more of a combative, you know, versus mode. But he's probably going to do very much of the same thing, present both of them as options for prayer. But the passages we read this morning where Jesus, in both Matthew and Luke, gives a prayer for his disciples to pray. In Matthew, it's not as clear as to the context of why he did this, but in Luke, it's really clear. His disciples came to him, and and they asked him, Lord, how should we pray? Teach us how to pray. And what you didn't get from Jesus was, oh, you shouldn't learn how to pray. Praying should be as natural as breathing. You breathe, don't you? Just start praying. Just pray. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He gives them a prayer. You can argue he gave them a written prayer. But I would argue something else on top of that. He gave them a written prayer to then use as a foundation to then go and pray other prayers off of that prayer, if you will. So he went with the assumption, a few assumptions, that people need to learn how to pray and that praying the same thing is not a bad thing, hence he gave this written prayer. But also the assumption is that he will then, you will then go on praying potentially other prayers. Where do I get this from? Well, how do we know, how do we know Jesus learned how to pray? Did Jesus learn how to pray? Well, he's God. Well, let's just forget about that for a second. Well, don't forget about it. But let's just, <laughs> let's just, let's just keep that here. He's 100% human, 100% God. He is in the same situation and circumstances like us. He was a child, was raised, grew up, 
born was in a situation in a community where it was a Jewish community that had prayer as a very big center point in their lives. But on top of that, he had a prayer book. And you might be wondering, well, what was the prayer book? It was the Bible. He had the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, the Psalms, the prophets, the historical books, all of these different pieces of literature he used to help learn how to pray. And how do I know this? Because he quotes the book of Psalms on numerous occasions in a prayerful kind of way. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see this even on the cross where he's praying to God actual Psalms in the Old Testament towards God in these moments where he's drawing back on. So he had a written form of prayer, but he also had a spontaneous form of prayer as well. We can see in John 17, where in John 17, Jesus is, he's, he's uh, away from his disciples, but praying for his disciples, and he wants the Holy Spirit to be with them, to help them grow and to guide them. And what you can see in this prayer, and I, it's just a small excerpt up on the screen, is we can see in this prayer is that Jesus is riffing off of Old Testament ideas, Old Testament themes and images, but he's doing it in such a way where he's spontaneously praying. So we get Jesus as an example of two different types of prayer, where he has this written form that he obviously uses because he has a good portion of the Bible memorized, but he also uses that memorization to then riff off of within his own spontaneous prayer life in the moment where the prayers are needed in the moment. And John 17, 18, all the way through is a rather large chunk where Jesus is being very repetitive. He's saying, Holy Spirit, disciples, uh, grow them, unity, all these different things. He's weaving over and over and over again. There's written and there's spontaneous. So there's an assumption that I don't think, uh, I, well, I don't think. There's an assumption I think many of us are kind of cringing at, and I, you know, I, I was cringing at a little bit over the past few years, especially as I was writing this sermon, that you can learn how to pray. That praying is actually a, a skill that can actually be developed. And I want to put some prefaces, if, if I can, or qualifications, if I can. I'm not saying that you're learning how to pray to be more effective in your prayer life. That's a, a different sermon for a different time in a different place. What I'm saying is that there's a way to pray that best reflects what's going on in your heart, that best reflects what's going on in Scripture, and that actually serves the church, and not only just yourself, but serves the church by and large. Learning how to pray it can be seen as learning how to do almost anything. I use the, the example of, well, isn't praying like learning how to breathe? You just do it, right? Well, just think about that statement for a second. Yeah, you're breathing right now, but is there a better way that you could be breathing? Is there a different way that you could be breathing? You might be thinking, well, no, Joey, you just breathe. No, no, hear me out. Should you breathe with your mouth or with your nose? Probably your nose. You know, there's a whole filtration system in your nose that actually filters out the bad stuff in the air. It helps calm your heart rate, helps keep you clear-headed. You're less anxious when you actually breathe through your nose as opposed to breathing through your mouth, where that's a very fight-or-flight type of breathing response. Um, some would even say if you're exercising, like running, you should probably try and breathe through your nose because it helps with the whole system of, your, of the cardiovascular system. 
you needed to learn that, didn't you? Because sometimes your body just takes over. You just start breathing with your mouth, and you don't realize it. And people can actually develop um, disformed facial features if they breathe through their mouth their entire life and never breathe through their nose, which is interesting. Uh, don't YouTube that or anything. It can, anyway, that could be a rabbit hole in and of itself. So you can learn how to breathe. Well, praying is just talking to God, isn't it? Well, it is that, but there's ways that you can actually engage and learn how to pray. And this is where the cringiness comes in, all right? This is where he's going to take this, just trust me on this one, where you can learn how to pray, I hate using words like better, but consistently um, that reflects your heart, reflects the Bible, reflects the story of um, redemption, that actually allows you to, to be freed up in a way through learning how to pray. Uh, think of it like a bike. When you're teaching a kid how to ride a bike, what do you do? Do you slap them on the, the mountain bike that's like this tall with, a, with the seat all the way up and say, hey, go off that jump? If you go out, to, out west past Cumu to the, to the park out there, no, you don't do that. What do you do? You get them on one of those little bikes and maybe training wheels, and then it guides them to help keep them sturdy. Or what people do now, I guess parents do now, is they don't have the training wheels. They have the bikes that are so low where you have the feet wide apart and then you, the kid balances. But eventually, you get to the point where you, you can get on a bigger bike, you can go a bit faster. Maybe you want to go on a really long journey and you need to map out the distance. This is all to say the point I'm trying to make is learning how to pray shouldn't be as controversial as you might think. Because we learn how to do most of what we do in life. So, how do you learn? How should you learn how to pray is a question that we're going to address today, but I already alluded to it, but why should you learn how to pray? And as you can see on the screen, we've got those three points that I've already mentioned. To better reflect what's going on in your heart to God, because there's things that you feel that you can't necessarily articulate because you don't have the language to articulate it. And sometimes that's okay, but other times you want to know how to articulate it, and you just can't because you haven't learned how to pray that heartfelt desire out. And then there's also the praying the biblical story. So this one is a bit more interesting and a bit more, uh, I would say, uh, consistent with what we've been preaching the past few years. The biblical story, preaching the biblical story, what I mean by that is, is learning how to pray that's consistent within the overarching structure of the biblical text. I'm not asking you to memorize the Bible. What I'm asking you to do is be familiar enough with the text of Scripture where you're not just praying and then having a big cliffhanger moment where you're like, oh, that's it. I'll, leave an, I'll give you an example. Treat the Psalms. If you read the Psalms through this lens that I'm going to present to you, um, I think what you'll see is something rather interesting. Nearly every single Psalm reflects a particular structure. It reflects the story of Scripture, where there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. Let's use the most popular Psalm in the entire book of Psalms as an example, Psalm 23, where it begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. 
He lies me down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What part of the story is that? What is the author trying to convey there in that prayer? It's a Genesis 2 imagery that's happening. But it's more than that. He's conveying something that's, that's biblically sound and true throughout all of Scripture. I am at my best and most secure and where I am supposed to be when I am in the very presence of God. This is my home. This is my place. My cup, I'll get to that point in the psalm, my cup overflows. My soul is restored. It's as if I'm in a field. It's as if I'm next to water. It's as if I'm, as if I'm firmly planted, as Psalm 1 says, next to a river, and I'm a tree. But then where does the psalm go after that? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, pause. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what's he saying there? Even though the world is messed up, corrupt, essentially we're talking about the whole story of Scripture from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through. We live in a broken world. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I know the reality of what's going on in the world. I see the imperfections around me. But does he end the prayer there? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, amen. No, it doesn't end there. You are with me. The home where I feel most at home in the presence of God, even though I'm in this world that is not quite the way it ought to be, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely, uh, you've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All right, so that's the middle bit. Amen. No, it, there's still that last little bit. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. End of story. And if you look at the Psalms through beginning, middle, and end, you'll see it in nearly every single Psalm. And I think for, for many of us, when we, when we start to pray, and it, it's not to say this is a, a bad thing to do, but we're, we're developing, is when we begin to pray, we, we think of maybe that middle bit where it's like, oh, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Bye, Lord. Amen. Let's go on with my day. But when you read the biblical story and really incorporate that into your prayer life and how you pray, the biblical story doesn't allow you to end there. It allows you to feel that. It allows you to be in that moment and read a bunch of other psalms. They might go on. They extrapolate what that one verse does for a whole psalm. Fair enough. But it doesn't leave you there. It requires you to see the full story. And we need to learn that. That's a learned thing. We need to be apprenticed under that way of reading, a way of praying. And then there's the third uh, reason why I think it's important that we should learn how to pray. And that's for the sake of others. Have you been in a church service or, you know, with friends in a small group or in other contexts where you're praying together and then somebody just, they just open up their heart? And then it's as if when they're praying, the very prayers that they're praying, you're praying. Like, that. oh, that, that's the thing. That's the thing that I, that I feel so much inside of myself right now, but I just don't have the words to articulate it. Thank you so much for praying. And you, you latch on to their prayer. Have you been in moments like that where people prayed out loud and they're praying? Have you? Come on. Yes, yes, you have. Thank you. Thank you. Would you like to be 
that for other people? Where it's not a showy thing, you're not showing off your prayers, but it's where what's happening in, in the heart is being articulated out and others are praying that same thing with you. I, this is, you know, Paul talks about church unity. I, when, we, when we pray together like that, it's just, there's a natural unifying effect that just happens within the church. So I know that I need to get better at praying, to be completely honest. I know that I don't always have the words to articulate what's going on in my heart. I know that my prayer life is sometimes inconsistent, sometimes not where I want it to be. And I know that when I pray out loud, I stick to a rather uh, fixed way of saying what I want to say because of how I think I ought to pray. And I know within myself, I need to learn how to pray better. Not just for my own sake, but for the sake of others. And not just because I think God's going to listen to me and be more effective and our prayers are going to be listened to. That's not what I'm talking about today. It's just for the sake of, of developing a muscle that is so valuable, not only for yourself, but also valuable to the church. So I know I need to pause for a second. I'm, I'm kind of getting this impression even as I'm talking right now where I know we come from different traditions. I just expressed to you the tradition that I came from, which, which valued spontaneous praying as the way of praying, where the only authentic way of praying is to pray from the heart, and if you pray any way else, uh, then you are not being your true prayerful self. And I know there's people who are a part of opposite traditions where it's like, no, we need to actually have well-thought-out prayers before we come to God, or I need to use a guide as I pray. For those who are more inclined to my bias, from my tradition, I just want to maybe expose something for a second that might loosen that up a little bit. It at least loosened it up for me. Did you know that every single aspect of your life is liturgical? Every single thing that you do is liturgy. Liturgy is not a thing that happens at certain churches on a Sunday morning in their order of service. It's actually the way you model your life. It's a pattern that you've adopted whether you know it or not. So here I'll give you an example, and we'll use Sunday morning as an example because that's the clearest illustration for liturgy. I know that some churches that you've probably attended or been a part of, uh, they pride themselves in not being one of those liturgical churches where they pride themselves in, in saying that, you know, we're more free, there's the people just, there's the, how am I going to say this, maybe more Pentecostal charismatic expressions of the body of Christ, they don't see themselves as liturgical. But one thing I love to do when I go to different churches, I, I love to see how the, the structure with their order of service. So when I went to a church in, uh, in Canada a few months ago, uh, I noticed that there's a certain structure that they abide by. That even though it's, there's a level of authenticity that is very, uh, very much apparent where spontaneous prayers are prayed and there's responses and there's moments where people, uh, where certain words are emphasized in the call to worship, there's actually a structure with which they use where maybe the worship leader at the beginning, uh, while the music's playing, they say, uh, they pray a psalm 
uh, that is out of the book of Psalms, but then they pray something else on top of that. And then after two songs that are sung and worship happens, the pastor comes up and then they invite other people to respond in that moment before the message. And then the message happens and then the message is a response time. And after the response time, there's a moment for intercessory prayer. And then after that, there's maybe announcements and then a benediction, the service is over. And then when I, when I see that, I'm like, well, that's your, that's your liturgy. You're sticking to a structure. And as a guest who's viewing in, I'm seeing that there's things that are happening that I have no clue uh, why you're doing that, or I have no clue uh, how to actually participate in that, because it's just assumed. I've been to Catholic churches and Anglican church services where, you know, you, you stand up and then everyone says the same thing at the same time, and you're just caught off guard. You're like, oh, I, I was supposed to say that. You know, it happens there, and it happens at charismatic churches as well. And it happens here, too. There's things that we do within our liturgy that we have just assumed as normal. But there's a way of structuring everything that we do. And I'm not going to go this really uh, uh, take this point all the way through to your life, but you can even see within your life and how people structure their lives. There's a liturgy of life of how you do what you do, whether you know it or not. So when it comes to prayer, I want to ask the question... Rather than asking, do you use a liturgy when you pray or not? Is your liturgy good? Or is it not? That's the question I'm really concerned with. So let's just zoom in a little bit close to your life for a second. Let's think about you as somebody who prays. And don't read this as judgmental at all. I am uh, certainly somebody who needs to analyze their prayer life, uh, just as much as anybody else. But is there a liturgy that you follow that you feel like needs to become more robust? Where you're like, I feel like I can't articulate what's really on my heart to God because I just don't have the words, I don't have the language. Are, Are my prayers, is the way that I pray, is it actually full of redemption that is found within the Bible? And am I able to be somebody who can actually help lead others in prayer as well? When we begin to ask those questions of what is my liturgy and how can it be improved, we begin to reframe this conversation of, well, is it spontaneous praying or is it liturgical praying that's better? I'd say both. This is what I do, at least, and I do it imperfectly and not effectively most of the time, all right? So I'm not being judgmental here. What I do, or what I've done in the past couple of years, and if you're on the finance committee, you know that I've been buying a few books recent, uh, in the past year or so. I realize that I, I want to get better at praying. And yeah, I can get better at praying through listening to many of you pray, and that's wonderful, and many of you are beautiful prayers, and, and we, whether we intentionally do that or not, we are actually adopting what we're hearing and what we're around. We become the people we're closest to. So I'm praying like you, and you're praying like other people like you, and that's great. But one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to widen my prayer kind of uh, depository. I don't know what words to use. And I, I wanted to buy some prayer books. I wanted to buy some prayer books for two reasons. One, because I, I just felt like I was saying the same thing to God. I would always just thank him and then go right to the stuff that I wanted him to do and then just say amen. 
And I'm like, I feel like there's more to prayer than that, to be honest. And so I brought some prayer books for that reason. And the second reason um, is escaping me right now. Yes, the second reason is because sometimes I don't feel like praying. Sometimes I don't feel like praying. And sometimes that feeling can last a long time. Maybe not just a day, maybe not just a week, sometimes months. But I know that praying's good. And when I don't feel like praying, the hardest thing for me to do when I don't feel like praying is to spontaneously pray. Because for some reason, there's something in my heart that just isn't welling up like it used to. So I need a help. So I buy a little prayer book. I've got a couple. Um, but I like this one in particular. This is called Fount of Heaven, Prayers of the Early Church. So the first four centuries of early church um, fathers and mothers who have prayers that are written. And on a morning when I drive out west and I get there sometimes around 6.50, 7 o'clock to arrive early to beat the traffic. And I sit there in a chair and I'm tired. And I, I just, I'd rather just you know, go, start going on my computer right away. I, you know, It's not welling up. The spontaneity just isn't there. I just start with a prayer that helps that process, helps loosen that up a little bit. And then what I find, and this is where I think the two merge together works really well, what I find is that after I pray a prayer that somebody else prayed 1,700 years ago, or it could be someone who prayed a prayer 100 years ago, or last week, it doesn't matter. After I pray a prayer, God begins just to... It's like you're priming the pump of the lawnmower a little bit, right? God just begins to stir that inside of me, where then the day begins, and I can then freely pray, and all of a sudden my heart just is lifted up in spontaneous prayer to God. Because I needed some help. I needed some help. And a part of me wonders, if we go back to our passage this morning, a part of me wonders if the disciples, when they asked Jesus, how should we pray, I wonder if Jesus was also thinking about this as well. Where I don't think he was saying you should never pray spontaneous prayers because he did that himself. And I don't think he's also saying you should only pray written prayers out of the book of Psalms, which is the Jewish psalm book in the first century, because he did that himself. I think what might be happening is he might be saying, use this as a guide to not only inform your prayers, but to pray from and allow that to change how you pray, and allow that to change not only how you pray, but who you are as a result of those prayers. Uh, I had a friend who, who said, you can only go as far as your theology takes you. So what he meant by that is you can't do what you don't know how to do. Clear statement, right? You don't know how to pray unless you have the prayers that teach you how to pray. And there's a sense of humility, I think, we all need to have within this, where, Lord, I'm not learning how to pray because I want to be a better person from the front praying, because that's not the goal. In the passage that was read in Matthew, it was mentioned that don't be like a Pharisee when you pray. Or I don't want to learn how to pray necessarily to be more effective in my prayers because I don't think that's really the heart of what you care about. It seems more like righteousness and a pure heart matter a whole lot more than the content of my prayers. 
But Lord, I want to learn how to pray because I want you to, I want to be changed by you. I want to be changed by you. I know that, I know that when I come to you in prayer, I'm changed. And I know that when I pray, something happens. And I know that sometimes the content of my prayers, when I say these certain words, when I believe what you've done in the beginning of creation, you're doing throughout this entire lifetime and what you're going to do at the very end, as I inform my prayers with good theology, good thought, good intentions, historical examples of prayer, you can actually change me. That I can actually be different because of what I meditate on in prayer, because of how I approach prayer. So maybe the first place to start is just praying. Pray, just pray. Just pray. See, I just, I just talked about all these different things, all these different... No. Just start praying is the first thing. And as you start to pray, what you'll notice and what you'll learn is that you need to learn how to pray. And as you learn how to pray, keep praying. And as you continue to pray and learn how to pray, pray for others and keep praying. And as you keep praying and keep praying and keep praying, all of a sudden, what's happening inside your heart begins to be articulated out in words that are biblically based, themes that are biblically strung throughout Scripture, that are theologically sound, that have a redemptive end, that look to the end goal of what God's doing while still in the present moment realizing the circumstances we find ourselves in. And the most beautiful gift that you can give the church in that moment through sitting in decades and decades of prayer of learning how to pray is then to pray with others and to lead others in prayer. That's why we should learn how to pray. It's not for ourselves necessarily. It's for all of us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you have created all things perfect and nothing imperfect. To you, no creature is ugly. You've created them with your divine order, peace, and harmony. I call to you. Everything that can love, loves you. Both those that know what they love and those that do not know what they love. I call to you who have created all creatures very good. Without any evil, you who will not completely show yourself to any except the pure in heart. For you are the father of truth the wisdom of the true and highest life, and the highest life of blessing. You are the highest good, the highest brightness. You are the Father of the Son who has awakened us and who still brings us to life from the sleep of our sins and who bids us to come to you. Amen.